For several years in this service, we have finished the service with the action called Sharing the Light. It's a simple and uh, really beautiful activity of lighting candles off of the Christ candle, then sharing the candles and lighting one another's candles in the community, and then standing to worship. We do this for a few reasons, and the meditation tonight is more in service or more connected to this action than it has been in other years where we have just given you simple directions near the end of the service. We do this because we believe that Jesus is the light of the world. And it gives us a picture when we light a candle, when we hold it, and when we sing it, it sort of adds to our proclamation that Jesus is the light of the world. That he said, I am the light of the world. We also make the note each year that Jesus transitions his teaching from I am the light of the world to, in another context, teaching his disciples by helping them to understand that they were the light of the world. In the Sermon on the Mount, he says, you are the light of the world. You must shine in people's sight so that by seeing your good actions, they may give praise to your Father in heaven. And so the transition is very, very closely connected. Whether it's Jesus or whether it's the community of Jesus who are the light of the world, human beings, human and divine, and just human beings filled by God's spirit are invited to be the light of the world. And so the light that Jesus is, the light that he brings, the light that he shares, the light that he lived and preached about, all of that light is now intended to somehow come shining through us. And so when we stand together, each holding a candle, a picture to one another that that light is somehow surrounding us and shining through us is so important for what we do as Christians both in worship as action and in the world as action. The thing is this, that light can never be understood as simply a concept. We're tempted to really conceptualize the light, to talk about you know, what it means, to talk about the idea of the light. We're tempted to talk about light in very, very general terms, like a philosophy of life, or even in terms of morality, light and the light of life being a kind of a list or a set of rules. But we're reminded tonight in our worship by Jesus and ourselves that people are the light of the world, that humans are invited to share with Jesus as the light of the world. And still, if I stopped here and we lit our candles and we sang Silent Night and Joy to the World like we're going to near the end of the service, still you'd sort of be left a little bit empty and a little bit wondering. Because 
What we require is an imagination for what the light means. What does it mean to be a light to another person? What does it mean to be a light in your family or in your community? What does it mean to be a light in your workplace or in your neighborhood? And so this year at Knox, we've been exploring the light and the darkness and the reality of that tension and the depth of the darkness and the power of the light. And in another stream of reflection, we've been looking at Joseph, Mary's husband, and Jesus' father, Joseph the carpenter. Joseph is a kind of a forgotten figure. He is a figure that we have, I think, subconsciously and historically sidelined in our meditations and our reflections on the Christmas season and the gospel story in general. Maybe it's because Joseph is the forgotten person. I, I remember an older gentleman in my congregation for many, many years, probably a dozen years in a row, Fred Bell came up, stood waiting patiently for me, dressed in a beautiful suit and his hands politely behind his back. And, and after the list of greeters and hugs and everything on that Christmas Eve, he would always say to me, Paul, you know, that was a lovely ser service. Thank you so much. But, but boy, I wish one Sunday, one Christmas Eve, it would be just really lovely to hear a sermon on Joseph. He said, I, I consider Joseph to be the forgotten man in the Christmas story. I told that story to his adult children several years later as we were planning his funeral and with sadness they reflected amongst themselves that that theme of forgottenness had really been a theme in his own personal life. And yet Fred had so much to offer. He was an editor and an author and a poet. He was a very talented and skilled and wonderful person. He was a churchman. He was a dedicated um, husband and father and not in an easy situation in that context. Joseph drops off the map in the gospel story. There's no mention of Joseph around the cross or his resurrection, whereas Mary is at the center of the community of disciples. It seems like Mary was Jesus' disciple all the way through, and maybe because of the age difference, maybe Joseph had passed away. But the tradition of the gospels does not bring Joseph back into the story at all. And yet, if we take some time to slow down in the text, and as we take some time to reflect about the human person of Joseph and how he is described, his experiences, his insights, his decisions, his actions, he actually helps us to put some flesh on what it means to be the light of the world. And we do that for one another. We each put on some flesh about what it means to be the light of the world. And that seems to be the way that God works. It doesn't seem like God is satisfied with talking about the light as a concept or an idea or an argument or a set of values. It seems like at the end of the day and in the fullness of time that God wanted, needed to put flesh on the light of the world. And so let's take a few moments and think about Joseph. And as I'm talking about Joseph, thinking about ourselves as being people and light of the world. You see, what I don't want us to do tonight 
is I don't want to give anybody permission to light a candle and to sing two Christmas carols in a kind of a meaningless, abstracted activity on a Christmas Eve because that's what we always do. What we want to encourage one another about tonight is we want to be able to stand in the darkness, defiant in committing ourselves to Jesus who has come into the world and whose light the darkness does not understand and is not able to overcome. We want to participate together in the action and the invitation and the calling and the power of the light. It doesn't matter that we have a small group of people tonight on this beautiful Christmas Eve, snowy as it is. What matters is the commitment of the heart to follow that invitation to participate with Jesus in actual, real ways. That's one of the things that's so great about Joseph. He's such a human figure in this story. And even though he's a little bit sidelined and a little bit forgotten, there's the humanity and a humility about Joseph that really allows people like you and me to identify with him. He was a worker. He was a carpenter. He was a person of prayer. He was a dreamer. He was a refugee. He was a husband. He was a father. He was a citizen who lived obediently under the thumb and the power of Rome. He did a lot of the actions and activities and followed through on a lot of the responsibilities that we're invited to do. The first thing is that Joseph is a dreamer. He has experience with God, and he is able to learn from that experience. He's able to listen in the midst of that dream and to follow through. And what that tells us is that there is a place in, this, in our lives and in this world for a deeper wisdom. If you track the Christmas story portrayed in the Gospels, it seems pretty clear that people need to be led whether it's angels or stars or dreams, whatever it is, or prophets speaking to other people, in every story in the Christmas, what we call the Christmas story, someone needs a word from outside of themselves. Someone needs an insight. Someone needs to benefit from the wisdom, the experience, and the insight of somebody else who's gone a little bit deeper or maybe a lot deeper. You know, in your relationships in the world, one of the things that you've got to remember is that most days, most people function according to their family tradition, to their own opinion, to what Oprah says on television, or what Dr. Phil says, or something that they read in an editorial in the newspaper. People are so busy and so distracted and so committed to multitasking, they don't have any time or energy or capacity to go deep. And so you bring a little bit of light into the lives of people you know just by offering a prayerful perspective of what might be going on in their lives, an alternative to what they've usually been thinking about. It's available to each and every one of you in your marriages, in your families, in your workplaces, in your friendships, in your neighborhoods, that opportunity to dream a little, and to wise up a little 
and to go deep a little with people in the community, like all of us who need people to go deep for us. And when you bring that word of wisdom, that word in time, that word of refreshment, that word of surprise into the lives of people, God shines a little bit of light into their darkness and into their hearts. The Christian tradition in several places identifies Joseph as Joseph the just. And it does that because at the center of Joseph's story, he is going to divorce Mary. Now, Joseph comes across as a very kind, thoughtful person. And the gospel writers write he was going to do this quietly because he didn't want to shame her. He was going to, he was going to treat her in a really generous way. He wasn't going to, to publicly shame her, to condemn her, to criticize her, to expose her to her community. He was going to do it quietly on the side in, as an expression of love. But he has a dream. He has a vision. He has an experience with God who says, no, this, this isn't the thing that you should do because you got to stick with Mary because I'm doing something really, really important in Mary's life. And Joseph gets it. And so he acts justly. But, but look at how he acts justly. He doesn't act justly just by doing the nice thing. He doesn't even act justly by doing the right thing. He acts justly by doing the profound and a powerful thing by going the extra mile. In the tradition of Israel, one of the deepest concerns when it came to just being a just society in the Old Testament is that God always reminded Israel to look after the orphan and the widow and the stranger in your midst. This is a repeated ethic. Look after the orphan, look after the widow, look after the refugee in your midst. Think about how prophetic that rings today in our political cultures. And so Joseph acts justly, and it costs him. It costs him putting his own righteousness, his own perspective, his own instincts on hold in order to follow through profoundly with what God is doing. Justice is not easy. Justice is not a hobby. Justice is not sort of the current cool state of thinking. Justice is sticking your nose into it and committing yourself for the good of another person, for making something that has gone haywire, that has gone off the tracks, and doing your part to bring it back, to restore it, to renew it, to refresh it. You can see in Joseph's justice the teaching of his son, Jesus, later on. Don't just forgive a person once. Keep on forgiving them. Someone asks you for something, give them what they ask for, and then give, you, give them more. Shower them with goodness. Let justice roll down. Let, let their poverty not only made right to sort of an even level, but help them to experience goodness and a good coat and good food in an overflowing way. Restore their lives by blessing them beyond what they expect or what the law says or what the tradition says. That's, that's real justice. And take a few moments to think about what are the situations, even the relational situations, 
in your life, an opportunity where you have an opportunity to stick your nose in and to stand up for something and to follow through for something in order to make something right with somebody and to bless them. The third is that Joseph protects Mary. Everything he does is to protect her and her baby and his baby. Every move that he makes is for her sake. And sometimes in life, we need someone to protect us. We need someone to go in front of us. We need someone to go behind us. And there are, in our culture and in our city, hundreds and thousands of people who need somebody else to stand up for them, to stand with them, to stand beside them. And those people are not strangers to you. Those people are people that you know. Those people who are right in front of your face, in your family, in your neighborhood. The final thing is this, is that, that Joseph is in several scenes where he is not the main participant, it seems. It's interesting about Joseph. If you look at Annie and Simeon, if you look at Mary, if you look at Elizabeth and Zechariah, the words that they speak are somehow all communicated in Scripture. But Joseph's words are never communicated. It's like he's a silent person. He's like the strong, silent type who's standing beside you. Even when, when he takes and goes with Mary to dedicate Jesus at the temple, and these old prophets, Anna and Simeon, speak to Mary and Joseph, Matthew writes that they were amazed with what was being said. But the direct word was to Mary. It wasn't to Joseph. And yet he was there. He was with her. Jesus' name is Emmanuel, God with us. And just like we need a little bit of flesh on the light, we need a picture of what it means that God is with us. And usually that picture of the light is someone who comes along and who goes with us. People need somebody to go with them to walk with them, to be in touch with them, to be that quiet, silent, humble partner in the journey of life. The Christian journey, someone wrote, is not a solitary journey, but it's a journey that's encountered in the company of the committed. Other people go with you on your journey. I remember friends of ours whose young daughter had brain surgery, and they invited us many years ago at Sick Kids Hospital to come and to be with them. And I remember sitting in the parent's surgical lounge, and for about three hours, we sat mostly in silence, and we read old magazines. That's what you do in hospital waiting. Out-of-date time magazines and Chatelaine, if you're in Canada, and other things. And that's all we did. The surgeon came out, and he had great news. And we were overjoyed. And the parents were brimming with tears. And they hugged Karen and I, and they said, thank you so much. And we walked away, and we said, we didn't do anything. We just sat there for three hours and read out of 
daytime magazines and Chatelet magazines. We hardly prayed. We didn't get into any deep conversation. I mean, you could cut the silence in that surgical room with a knife. All we did was sit there. And boy, Mary needed someone to stand beside her and to walk with her. I mean, she was in the struggle of her life. Her life was being wrecked by God's purposes for her in a beautiful and powerful, but a wild and crazy way to understand kind of approach. And Joseph is that steady hand. Not because he was a man, because he was Joseph. He was that steady hand that all of us need to accompany one another, to walk with one another, to support with one another. I had a conversation with a longtime friend of mine who is in the hospital right now as I speak. He has been on a 30-year struggle with dialysis. And it's really hard to say this, but he is now on his last dialysis port. It seems like God has granted him a lot more years than most of us thought. And for the first time, in a long, long time, in many years, when I was in the intensive care visiting him, his parents asked if they could talk to me. And we had this really deep and beautiful conversation because they're so tired and so frustrated and so sad with a long journey of in and out of hospital over and over and over again for year after year after year. And, and then things get better and then it goes south. You know, it's just it's exhausting this kind of love that we're called to exercise with one another. And I said to the father, this Irish Catholic from the suburbs, I said, you know, what do you think that you should be doing for Mike? And he said, I, I don't know if I should be doing anything for Mike, but I just know I'm going to be with him. That's all I know how to do is be with him. And somehow a little light shone in that hospital hall. It was just a little bit brighter than it was before. I think about our life, the little sample of Karen and I, and just in the last six to eight months, a spouse dies of cancer. A family's house burns to the ground. A close friend is imprisoned unjustly, we believe. And it just goes on and on and on. And that's just us. Now, if we expanded the need of people connected to you who needed a sense of that light, who needed a touch of that God with us that Joseph embodies in this story, that could be a powerful force that God desires to release in the city and in the world. Justice wisdom, sacrifice, protection, going with people, walking with people. Take a few moments just in the quiet before you dare to light a candle and to sing Silent Night in Joy to the World. And ask God to whisper a person into your heart, into your mind, that you can be with that you can walk with, that you can act justly with and wisely with and generously with in humility. I'll just give you that few moments in this quiet.
Sometimes we think that what we really want is a beautiful, sentimental experience. Just to light a candle and just to look at the beauty of the candles. But here's the problem. That's not what the world needs, is our sentimental experience. What the world needs and what the world received in the coming of Jesus is God with them in human flesh, with justice and wisdom, protection, friendship, support, prayer, kindness, gentleness, goodness, patience, love. That's what the world needed. That's what it still needs. And that's what they got in the coming of Jesus, the light of the world, God with us. And so I invite you to get past yourself a little bit this Christmas Eve celebration, to get past the attraction of the sentiment and to hold that candle as maybe a specific person that you can name or a specific activity that you feel committed to or a situation that you know about being invited into. Raise that candle in the midst of darkness and then walk out of here, take the candle with you as a reminder if you want, and as you enter into the lives of those people, you will see the darkness fade away and you will recognize that the light is here and it's here to stay. And the light's name is Jesus. In his name.